Guess what? Today we're going to finish the book of Daniel, if you can believe that. I have mixed feelings about it. It's been a good study. I really enjoy this book. But all good things must come to an end except for God's eternal kingdom. <laughs> so, if you have your Bibles, you might want to read along. It'll be up on the screen as well, obviously. I'm going to read verses 5 through 13. Then I, Daniel, looked, and there stood two others, one on this riverbank and the other on that riverbank. And one said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river, How long shall the fulfillment of these wonders be? Then I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river, when he held up his right hand and his left hand to heaven, and swore by him who lives forever, that it shall be for a time, times, and half a time. And when the power of the holy people has been completely shattered, all these things shall be finished. Although I heard, I did not understand. Then I said, My Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And he said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. Many shall be purified, made white, and refined, but the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. And from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335 days. But you go your way till the end, for you shall rest and will arise to your inheritance at the end of the days. Let's pray. Father, as we wrap up this book of Daniel today, we just pray that you would once again send your Holy Spirit. We know that you're here with us, Lord. Whenever two or more are gathered together, you will be there in the midst of them. But we do pray for that special ministry of the Holy Spirit to teach us and lead us into all truth. Give us insight and understanding into these important end times truths that Daniel is bringing forth here. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Daniel has been in the midst of this uh, series of visions and revelations, if you will. And then he looks and there's two others, two more angelic beings that he sees. One on each side of the Tigris River. This is where this is happening, on the riverbank. And he sees two angels, different from the ones he had already seen. And then verse 6, one said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters, this is the third angelic being, and we talked about this earlier in chapter 12 or 11, that some commentators, some theologians believe that this may be a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ, this one above the waters. In Daniel 10.6, it gives a description of this angelic being. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire. Sounds like Revelation chapter 1 where Jesus is described in all of his glorified splendor. His arms and feet like burnished bronze in color, just like Jesus, and the sound of his words like the voice of a multitude. So we don't know for sure. We do know that there are a number of times in the Old Testament where Jesus did appear. It's called a theophany or a Christophany, a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ prior to his birth to the Virgin Mary 2,000 years ago. 
At any rate, we now have three angelic or heavenly beings on the scene here. And it tells us he's above the waters of the river. So, again, remember, who was it that walked on the water? Jesus. And it would appear this angel is walking on the water when he told the other angels in Daniel that these things would happen within a three and one half year period. You could call this the first river dance, actually. Uh, my wife used to love that. She watched that river dance all the time. And she could do it, too. She's a dancer. But these, uh, when we read here about the um, time, times, and half a time, that equals three and one half years. We'll get into that more. The man clothed in linen, one of the other angels says to that angel, or to Jesus, if you will, how long shall the fulfillment of these wonders be? In other words, how long will it be before all these things that have been revealed to Daniel will, will come to fruition? When will these events be concluded? Sounds a lot like what the disciples asked Jesus, Matthew 24. What will be the signs of your coming and of the end of the age? So then in verse 7, I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river when he held up his right hand, left hand, so he's making a solemn oath here, swore by him who lives forever, it will be for a time, times, and half a time. And so the events of the tribulation, which is seven years in total, but the events of the second half, the great tribulation as it's called, will be when the time, times, and half a time, the last three and a half years of that seven-year period, come to a close. Matthew 24, 21, we've read this recently. Then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. And then in Jeremiah 37, alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it, and it is the time of Jacob's trouble. And that's because, as we have learned from our studies in Revelation, chapter 12 specifically, that halfway through the tribulation, when the Antichrist presents himself as God in the temple, that's the abomination of desolation. At that point, the Jews who are awake, if you will, who know what's going on, God warns them to flee. They're caught up on the wings of a great eagle, which would appear to be an airlift of some kind, and they're taken to Petra over in Jordan, where they'll be held in safety for the last three and a half years. But those who don't flee will be severely, seriously persecuted, and that will be the time of Jacob's trouble. Sadly, in spite of all that's happened to the Jews over thousands of years, they are still facing one final humongous persecution in the days ahead. So we need to continue to pray for them. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray for God's chosen people that they will come to know Jesus Christ as their Messiah. It is the time of Jacob's trouble, but he, the people of Israel, Jacob, his people, shall be saved out of it. So there will be a remnant saved that will come to Christ. We've learned that over and over again. But this three and one half year period is well known in other passages of biblical prophecy. Daniel 7.25 described it as the period that 
saints are given into the Antichrist's hands. And again, we've, we've explained this because there are many who are confused. They say, well, if we're going to be raptured at the beginning of the tribulation, why are the saints given into the Antichrist's hands? Because there will be saints, people who will come to Christ during the tribulation. In fact, in Revelation it tells us there will be an angel flying to and fro about the earth preaching the gospel. Even in that time of great tribulation, God's love and grace and mercy will still be accessible to those who want it. And I've told you many times, I believe, the greatest revival in human history will take place right after the rapture. That many people will finally wake up when they see the truth and the reality that literally millions of people have disappeared from the planet. Now some will be deceived and they'll say, oh, the aliens took them away to reprogram them so they can be part of the new age. But there will be many others who will realize that the believers were correct when they told everyone that Jesus was going to come again and take his people home and they will be saved. And those are the saints of the tribulation who will become, in many cases, if not most, the tribulation martyrs. Daniel 9.27 describes this period as the period between the breaking of the Antichrist's covenant with Israel. Remember, the tribulation kicks off with a seven-year peace treaty. The people of the prince who is to come, Daniel chapter 9, is going to make a covenant with the many for one week, seven years. How many days in a week? Seven. The week is symbolic for a seven-year period. He's going to make a seven-year peace treaty, but in the middle it's going to be broken. So between the breaking of the Antichrist covenant with Israel, the erection of the abomination of desolation, and the establishment of Jesus' kingdom. Daniel 12, 7 that we're in today uh, describes it as the duration of the time of trouble for Israel. Revelation 11:2 described it as the period that the holy city will be tread underfoot by the Gentiles. Revelation 12:6 and 12:14 describe it as the period that Israel, perhaps only its remnant, is preserved by God in the wilderness, which I just spoke about there in Jordan. Revelation 13.5 describes this three-and-a-half-year period, the second half of the tribulation, as the duration of the Antichrist's authority to rule, persecute, and blaspheme. So, again, he will begin as a man of peace, and then halfway through, all hell literally breaks loose. And then he tells us here that it, this whole thing will come to a conclusion, because that's the question that the one angel asks the one hovering above the water, when will these things be concluded? When the power of the holy people has been completely shattered. Now what we've seen in fulfillment of prophecy, of prophetic scripture, is the reemergence of Israel as a, a nation. 1948, Israel had not been a nation for almost 2,000 years. And then the prophecies say that when the fig tree begins to blossom, to bloom, the fig tree is Israel. No other people group in the history of planet Earth has re-emerged as a nation after a 2,000-year absence. However, by and large, they have still not embraced their Messiah. They rejected him the first time, 
And although many Jews are now coming to Christ, it's very encouraging, the majority, the bulk, are either secular Jews, which means they don't practice any form of worship or religion, and then there's a small minority in Israel that are Orthodox, ultra-Orthodox, again, just like the Pharisees 2,000 years ago. And so they haven't been broken yet. After 2,000 years of being dispersed all over the world, being persecuted, sadly, they still have not been completely broken. Not that we would wish that upon them, but it's necessary in order for them to come to Christ. So the people of Israel will seem completely crushed as these things come to a conclusion. But at that time, the Messiah upon whom they will trust before he returns. That's God's goal here. Just like with any of us. It seems like most people, not all, but most, only come to Christ after they've gone through severe trial and tribulation. Would you agree with that? We have to come to the end of ourselves. And some of us don't break as easily as others. As long as we're relying upon ourselves and our own abilities, our own strengths, then it's difficult for us to bow the knee to God. And so while many people get mad at God for the trials and tribulations they endure, many times it's the only way they can be reached. But you see, the enemy's also there at the same time trying to do his stuff. And that's why I say over and over again, trials will make you bitter or better. It's your choice. You have to choose. Am I going to learn from this? Am I going to grow from this? Am I going to get closer to God? Or am I going to pull farther away? Pulling farther away is not a good idea. Drawing near is a very good idea. So, when the power of the holy people has been completely shattered, all these things shall be finished. So since 1948, at least, and even before, Israel's been on the upswing. After the horror of World War II and the Holocaust, and remember the, the battle cry all over the world, never again? Well, it's happening again. Anti-Semitism is rising day by day. So Israel, this little tiny nation, has become one of those most productive nations in the world. They're at the very top of technology, medicine, you name it. The things they've been able to accomplish. And yet, what was the Nazi justification for killing them, for persecuting them, they're inferior, subhuman. The fact of the matter is, historically, the Jewish people have been some of the most intelligent, most creative, most successful people on the planet. The reality was the Germans were jealous of them. And they had all the wealth because they were really good at making money. A lot of them were jewelers. You know, they dealt in precious gems, precious metals, and so forth. And the Nazis went in and took it all away. Who were the real subhumans? I'm sorry. <laughs> if you're German, I'm, forgive me, but the way many of those people behaved, I know we don't want to put them all in, you know, one common basket together. There are, there are good and bad people in every ethnic group, every racial group. It's not a matter of your ethnicity, your skin color. It's a matter of the heart. And there were some really evil black hearts among that Nazi regime. Inspired by the devil himself, because who is it that wants to kill everybody but God's people in particular? 
Avi Lipkin would come and he would teach us and train us about Islam. And he would say, you know, first they want to kill the Jews and the Christians. And then they want to kill everybody else, including each other. Shiite versus Sunni and so forth. And that's how the devil is. His primary target is Jews and Christians. Because as Avi taught us, we are both the people of the book. We have the whole book. <laughs> they have the first half. But we both study the same Old Testament, do we not? And we both worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So number one target, as the, as the Muslims have proclaimed over and over again, America is the big Satan because historically and traditionally we've been viewed as the greatest Christian nation on earth. That's rapidly deteriorating and disappearing. But to them, and we are such a hypocrisy and a contradiction because at the same time America has been spreading the gospel all over the world, we've been spreading pornography and pedophilia and everything else all over the world. And the Muslims see that and they say, you are a bunch of fake, phony, carnal hypocrites. America is the big Satan. Israel is the little Satan. And who do you, where do you think they got that from? The devil. His number one target, God's people, the Jews, the Christians. But then it's everybody else because the devil wants to destroy the human race. I told you many times it's so easy, it's so basic. God is pro-life, Satan is pro-death. How do you know which side somebody's on? I'm sorry, but those who claim, I don't care if you're Protestant, Catholic, whatever. If you claim to be a Christian and you're pro-abortion, excuse me, excuse me, doesn't, doesn't work that way. Because God's pro-life, Satan is pro-death. If you're pro-death, you're on Satan's side. Period. No argument. End of discussion. So if anybody's watching online or even here this morning and you'd like to repent, please do. Repent. First words out of Jesus' mouth when he went public, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Oh, even before that, first words out of John the Baptist's mouth when he went public, six months before Jesus, repent. How many churches do you hear that word in today? Repent. It means to turn and go the other way. It means to turn from your previous mindset, your previous lifestyle, and go the other way, following after Jesus Christ. That's what it means to repent. All right. Verse 8. Although I heard, Daniel says, I did not understand. I find that encouraging. If Daniel didn't understand... How many times have you read a passage of Scripture and go, I don't understand? <laughs> You're not alone. Don't be discouraged. It's going to take you the rest of your life, and then we still won't know very much until we get to 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 13. Now I see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Then I will know him even as I am known. So don't be, don't be discouraged. Daniel says, I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? There's another interesting thing. He calls the angel, my Lord, 
Could be Jesus. Verse 9, he said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. Go your way, be at peace, don't worry about it, your job is done. These things are for the end times, the last days. Daniel had an amazing, incredible, long, productive, fruitful life, served around five kings, was a close confidant and advisor, with the possible exception of Belteshazzar, who was an idiot. But his time was done. But he did receive these prophecies that were specifically for the last days, for us, folks, for the time we're living in. Make no doubt about it. We talked last week, I believe, about the first part of the chapter where it said the two key signs of the last days. Massive, rapid, global transit. From 20 miles per hour to 25,000 miles per hour. Now, you and I don't get to go that fast unless maybe you go up in one of those virgin uh, ships or Elon Musk SpaceX if you've got the millions of dollars to take your own private space trip. Most of us don't get to go that fast. But we get to go really fast. In a jet airplane, you can go from L.A. to Sydney, Australia in about 12 hours. You know, you can go the other direction. You can get all the way around the world in a very short period of time. That was unfathomable to the people of Daniel's day and even to the people of John the Apostle's day when he wrote the book of Revelation. It was unfathomable to people who lived 100 years ago. Do you realize that? And we have those, uh, you know, race cars that can go a couple hundred miles per hour. So rapid global transit specifically for the purpose of gaining and increasing knowledge and we talked about the fact that the amount of knowledge being collected and you've all heard about artificial intelligence right the amount of knowledge being collected every 15 months it doubles from the beginning of human history until this point in time it's kind of like our national debt. <laughs> um, the national debt that's been accumulated since basically since Barack Obama until the present is greater than all the debt accumulated from the founding of America up until that point. So man is very good at doing all the wrong things, basically. Because you could even argue as amazing as rapid transit is, is it really good for the planet? I'm not talking about climate change. You can take your climate change and flush it. Although I suppose flushing your toilet could also damage the climate as well. Some worse than others. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I heard that. I heard that. <laughs> yeah. I've always believed church should be fun. Okay. <laughs> I can't believe he said that. Boy, if that's the worst thing you've heard me say, then. <laughs> 
Okay, well, whatever I was thinking, it's gone now. <laughs> Go your way, Daniel. The words are closed up and sealed. This, again, I think we might have talked about this last week, but it means two things. Basically, Daniel's prophetic announcements were symbolically sealed, indicating, first of all, that they were authoritative and could not be altered. Remember how back in the day they would seal a document? They'd pour the hot wax and then put the seal on it. And once it was sealed, that made it official. You know, when the king would give an edict, we learned about this early on in Daniel, it was irrevocable. Even if the king wished it, he could change it. He couldn't because it was sealed with his seal. So that's the first aspect. When God says they're sealed, it means it's guaranteed it's going to happen. And secondarily, in Revelation, a seal of the scroll of judgment is broken, indicating that the time of its fulfillment has come. Revelation 5, 1 through 10. The breaking of the seal indicates that the time of fulfillment has come. So the words are closed up and sealed until the time of the end. Although the book of Daniel has existed for 2,500 years, and believers have faithfully studied it from the time of its writing, only in the last days will it be fully understood, and this is that time. Okay? Verse 10, Many shall be purified, made white, and refined. Again, a couple things here. One, over the course of human history, from Daniel's time until the end of the tribulation, which hasn't happened yet, literally millions, at least, of people would be saved, washed in the blood of the Lamb, purified, made white, and refined. This is what Jesus came to do. His blood shed on the cross of Calvary is what accomplishes it if you appropriate it in your life. We all know John 3.16, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God so loved the world. There was nobody on this planet that ever has lived or ever will live that Jesus did not die for. However, unless you receive Him as your Lord and Savior, it doesn't do you any good. In the first chapter of John, it says, To as many as received Him, to those who believed on his name, he gave the right to become the sons of God. Again, we live in an age of entitlement when everybody thinks they're entitled to everything, whether they did anything or not, to deserve it or to earn it. The good news about salvation is you can't earn it. It's a free gift. But you have to believe and you have to receive to become a son of God. You're not born into this world as a child of God. Do we all know that? We love to hear people talk about that. I thought it was so interesting when uh, President Trump was in office and he referred to those MS-13 gang members who were slaughtering people with machetes and all kinds, right here in our country. Right here in our country. Doing horrible things. And he referred to them as animals. And then Nancy Pelosi got up and ragged on Trump and defended those MS-13 gang members as creations of God. They had the spark of divinity within them. Uh, excuse me. Nobody has that until you're born again. We're not born into this world as children of God. We might be His creation, 
But even the Pharisees, who were supposed to be the most spiritual of all, the religious leaders of Israel, Jesus told them they were sons of the devil because they weren't true followers of God. They were fake, phony, legalistic, religious. Religion is man's effort to reach God. Christianity is God's effort to reach man. Okay? Many shall be purified, made white, and refined. And this will be true in particular of Daniel's people, the Jews, as they are finally brought to faith in their true Messiah, Jesus Christ. But he says the wicked shall do wickedly. We just talked about the wicked, didn't we? Even though many shall be purified, made white, and refined, wickedness has continued to abound upon the earth, has it not? Again, we've talked about this before, but there is a particular belief system in certain branches of the church. It's called um, Dominion Theology, or Kingdom Now, which teaches, and you see, if you watch enough, quote, Christian TV, you'll see this, the idea that we're going to convert the whole world to Christ and we are going to usher in the millennium by getting everybody saved. No, but D Daniel said something different here. He said that even as many would be purified, made white, and refined, the wicked will do wickedly. The only way that wickedness is going to be gone is one the outpouring of God's wrath during the tribulation. Going to be a whole lot of wicked people wiped out. And then at the end, we're going to talk about it in just a minute. At the end of the tribulation, there's what is called the separation of the sheep and the goats. Roughly maybe one-third of the earth's population will be left at most by the end of the tribulation. I just heard we're up to almost 8 billion now, 7.85 billion or something like that. The bigger the population gets, the more people are going to die. But by the end, those that are left will be in two groups. There will be some believers who will survive. Many will be martyred. But some believers will survive. Some non-believers will survive. But God will not allow those non-believers, the wicked, into his millennial kingdom. They will be separated out and cast into outer darkness. That's the only way we're going to get rid of wickedness on this planet you and I aren't going to get rid of it, okay? Christianity's been around for 2,000 years. If we were going to get rid of it, we would have gotten rid of it by now. We're doing all we can to hang on to our own salvation. Paul said, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Don't take it lightly. Don't be lackadaisical or slack about your relationship with God like many people are. Why do you think we're in a time of apostasy now? Because people, many people now who identify as believers only do it out of convenience. They, they go to church when it's convenient. They go to Bible study when it's convenient. They read their Bible at home when it's convenient. They pray when it's convenient. The only problem is, how often is it really convenient? And here it is. Wickedness has continued to abound upon the earth and will continue until Jesus returns.
Matthew 24, 12. Because of the increase of wickedness, are we seeing an increase in wickedness? Uh, there, again, people will argue, well, wickedness has always been with us. That's true. But according to Jesus, it will increase. In fact, that's what led to Noah's flood. Do you know that? From the time of creation, from the time when Adam and Eve were created, for about the next thousand years or so, guess what happened? Oh, everybody got saved and the whole world was believed in God. No, quite the opposite. Women were sleeping with fallen angels. Dogs and cats living together. No, <laughs> that's from Ghostbusters. <laughs> it got worse. I can't believe he said that. I won't forget that. It got worse and worse and worse until God said, no mas. No mas. What was that boxer? Uh, or better, no mas, no mas. <laughs> and what happened? God destroyed the world with a flood. There was, there was a group of cities by the Dead Sea, Sodom and Gomorrah and some others. They got worse and worse until they tried to rape angels. That's pretty sick. What happened? God destroyed it. So the mockers, the scoffers, oh yeah, right, Jesus is coming. We've been hearing that for 2,000 years, right. He's coming. He's coming, and it won't be pretty unless you're with him on his side. Because of the increase of wickedness. Does it seem like worse and worse things are happening? I think so. And it's becoming more and more universal. Because of the internet, because of the mass rapid transportation and so forth. Some pedophile can hook up with somebody online and fly to meet them in a few hours. Everything in this world today, the technology, everything we have only facilitates more and more sin, worse and worse sin. You can go online and learn how to do any horrible satanic ritual your heart may desire. You can watch them being performed. The thing that's hardest to watch online is anything that has to do about God and His Son, Jesus Christ. But you can watch all the evil stuff you want. Is that accidental? Nope. What happens because of the increase of wickedness? The love... And by the way, I checked it out, and the word love here is agape. What does that tell you? Only believers can possess agape. Because agape comes from God, from the Spirit of God living in you. So this, it gets really sticky at this point. Because of the increase of wickedness, the agape of most will grow cold. Jesus is talking about believers. What did Jesus rebuke the church in Ephesus for in the book of Revelation? They had lost their first love. When you are surrounded by wickedness all the time, there's this great danger that your heart is going to grow cold. Your love is going to grow cold. Your heart is going to grow hard. We have to guard against this, folks. It's a great danger for us in these last days, and it's why... Many people are turning away and falling away from the true faith. 
The wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand. Ties right in with what I tell you all the time, sin will make you stupid. It really does. You can have a high IQ, but you can still be stupid, you know that? None of the wicked shall understand. That's, uh, isn't it baffling how you can put the truth right in front of somebody's face and there's no way they can see it? You could give them all the evidence in the world and they will deny it. Why? Because if they're lost in sin, they're stupid. Sorry. By the way, the word stupid is even in the Bible, so don't rebuke me for using the word stupid. But the wise shall understand. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. We're told in Proverbs and Psalms over and over again. The fear of the Lord. That means you believe Him. You take His word seriously. You believe that His word is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help Him God. You fear Him. You're in awe of Him. You respect Him. You revere Him. Oh, and what else? You obey Him. That's the fear of the Lord. Don't tell me that you're a believer. Don't tell me that you love God if you don't obey God. That's a lie. We're talking straight here today, aren't we? If you're pro-death, you're not a Christian. You're not a believer. If you don't obey God, you're not a believer. Sorry. You can say you are all day long. Are we perfect? No. Do we make mistakes? Yeah, but a true believer will hopefully be quick to repent, to confess, to ask forgiveness, and get back on track. If you habitually disobey God, you're not a believer. You're a liar. Okay? Just deal with it. Deal with it. If you want to be a believer, if you want to follow God, confess, repent, stop lying, and start obeying. Hello? Yeah, I'm a believer, but I sleep with my boyfriend or girlfriend all the time. I'm a believer, but I'm gay. God loves you, but you're not a believer. Because you haven't confessed, you haven't repented, you haven't turned from your sin and begun to follow after Jesus Christ. If you want to live forever, if you want to go to heaven, if you want to be forgiven, stop lying, confess, repent, and follow God. It's that simple. The modern church thinks that we can coddle people into becoming believers. Uh, read your Bible. Read your Bible. Did Jesus coddle people? Did the disciples coddle people? No. They spoke the truth unashamedly, unabashedly. They spoke the truth. They confronted. And the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of God's word converted people. It doesn't work any differently today. It works the same way today. But we're just so scared and wimpy and weak and afraid that people are going to get upset, they're going to get mad, they're going to reject us. They're not rejecting you, they're rejecting God. And they're going to have to answer for that. So quit being a wimp and tell people the truth. Let the chips fall where they may. I'm not saying be mean, nasty. I'm just saying be honest, truthful, straightforward, uncompromising, 
not coddling. Why is our world in such a mess? Because we're coddling everybody. We're coddling all the criminals now. We turn murderers loose and they murder again. We turn rapists loose and they rape again. We turn thieves loose and they steal again. We turn pedophiles loose and they abuse again. Uh, I told you, sin makes you stupid. So that doesn't work, okay? Can we all agree on that? That doesn't work. What works? The truth. Honesty. Integrity. Woo! I can't believe he said that. I'm going to just be saying that all the time now. <laughs> okay. But the wise shall understand. Those who, and that, as we apply specifically to the tribulation, which is the part we're in now with at the end of Daniel here, those who refuse the mark of the beast, the mark of the Fauci, oh, excuse me, um, those who refuse the mark of the beast, and turn the, the mark of the gates. Oh, oh, oops, excuse me again. Those who refuse the, to, the mark of the beast and turn to Christ will be washed in the blood of the Lamb. Yes? Strengthened and refined by the fiery trials of the tribulation. But those who continue on in their wickedness will be deceived and lost forever. One more time. Trials will make you bitter or better. 11, verse 11. From the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Oops, what's going on here? At the midpoint of the tribulation week, Antichrist will abolish those Jewish sacrifices. Do we have sacrifices right now? No. But they're going to rebuild the temple at the beginning of the tribulation. All the parts are already there in warehouses ready to be put up. Did you know that? The temple is already built. It just has to be erected. And then they will begin their sacrifices for the first time in 2,000 years. They already have some red heifers waiting to go. At the midpoint, the Antichrist is going to abolish Jewish sacrifices once again. Daniel 9.27, Matthew 24.15, 2 Thessalonians 2.4. And from that time to the end will be 1,290 days. 2 Thessalonians 2.3, we've read many times in 4. Let no one deceive you by any means. For that day, big D, will not come unless the falling away comes first. We've been talking about that falling away this morning. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, the Antichrist who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Again, this was written in the first century, and the temple was destroyed in 70 A.D. This is the future temple that's about to be built in Jerusalem. There shall be 1,290 days, normally three and a half years, of 360 days per year. That's the Jewish lunar calendar. Would only be 1,260 days. What are the extra 30 days for? They allow for the judgments that will take place after the second coming of Christ. Ezekiel chapter 20, Joel chapter 3, Matthew 25, 32 says, All the nations will be gathered before him, he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. That 30-day period that's added on here is for that. 
Verse 12, blessed is the one who waits and reaches the end of the 1,335 days. The one who lives for 75 days after the second advent, second coming of Christ, 1,335 days from the midpoint of the tribulation is called blessed. So there's another 45 days added on here as well. This must mark the beginning of the actual functioning of Christ's millennial kingdom. 45 days for Christ to appoint rulers and organize his millennial government. Luke 19, 17, and 18. Remember the, uh, the parable of the talents? He said to him, Well done, good servant, because you were faithful in a very little, you have authority over ten cities. Again, this is futuristic. At that, in this parable, it speaks of the reward for those who are faithful in this life will be given responsibilities in the millennial kingdom. Ten cities. The second came saying, Master, your mina has earned five minas. Likewise, he said to him, You also be over five cities. Revelation 20, verse 6. In fact, he also told the apostles that he had 12 thrones reserved for them to sit on in the millennial kingdom. Revelation 20, verse 6. Blessed and holy is he who has a part in the first resurrection. That's the resurrection of the righteous. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him. How long? A thousand years. So, it is my belief and others. The first 30 days, separation of the sheep and goats. The judgment period. Again, no wicked will be allowed to remain on the planet. The 45 days afterwards, the organizing of Christ's millennial government. We tend to think of these things in very esoterical, mystical terms, all floating on clouds. But we're actually going to be living in the real world, but it'll be the new, real world of Jesus Christ. But there will still be people groups and regions and governments. And guess who's going to be over those? You and me, hopefully, if we've been faithful. All right. Verse 13, our final verse. But you go your way till the end, Daniel, for you shall rest and will arise your, to your inheritance at the end of the days. So Daniel would experience physical death, which is a type of rest, resting in Abraham's bosom. The Old Testament saints would go to that place, which is probably at the center of the earth, Abraham's bosom. Remember the beggar at the gate, the rich man and the beggar at the gate, the dog's licking his sores, and, and the, bed, the rich guy just ignores him, won't help him. They both die. The poor guy goes to Abraham's bosom. He's doing great. The rich guy's in Hades, the other side. And he's hot. It's hot in there. And he asks Father Abraham to please send that servant over to bring him a drink of water. No can do. Sorry. So Daniel would go to Abraham's bosom long before these events would take place. Go your way till the end. You shall rest and will arise to your inheritance the promise of resurrection, God promises Daniel through his angelic messenger that he will rise, he will be resurrected and receive his inheritance, his portion in our Lord's millennial kingdom. And by the way, that promise applies to everyone whose name is written in the Lamb's book of life, which we discussed last week. Let's stand.
Let's uh, have a show of hands before we go to the Lord in prayer. If you have a prayer request today, raise your hand. Almost everybody. All right, Father, we uh, lift up these prayer requests to you now, Lord. You know each heart. You know each person. You know what's on their minds this morning. We thank you that we do have that vehicle of prayer that we can come before you and bring our requests made known to you, Lord. And you told us that as we do that, the peace that passes all understanding would guard our hearts and minds. So I do pray that as we bring these requests before you, you'd help us to lay them at the foot of the cross and entrust all these people and all these situations to you, Father. We lift up those with health problems, health issues, whether there be someone in this room or someone that we're thinking of this morning that needs healing. We pray that you'd pour out your Holy Spirit upon each one. Lord, whether it's allergies or a cold, infection, or something more serious, Lord, we know it's all the same to you. Nothing is too difficult for you, Lord. So we do pray in the name of Jesus that you would pour out your healing upon your people. Lord, we pray for healing, strength, restoration. Lord, so that we have every bit of our faculties available to serve you here on this planet. We pray for comfort for those who are in pain. We, we do pray that you'd relieve the pain, but we pray for comfort. Lord, for rest, for peace, for strength. Lord, we pray for those with mental and emotional issues. Those can be just as bad, if not worse, than the physical. We pray, Lord, again, as we talked about, that you would impart to them that peace that passes all understanding, Lord. A sound mind for healing and deliverance from the attack of the enemy and his cohorts, Lord. Healing from hurts, broken hearts, disappointments, abuse. Lord, we know that you do care about all those things, and we pray for your comfort and for your healing for those folks as well. Lord, also for those who have had issues with relationships, whether it be a marriage or a friendship, family members, sometimes those can be very difficult. We pray for healing of broken and damaged relationships, and you give us the ability by the power of your Holy Spirit to be those who uh, initiate and uh, promote reconciliation and restoration in those relationships, Lord. Wherever possible, your word says we're to be at peace with all men. So, Lord, if we are in any way contributing to the situation, show us what we're doing or not doing and help us to repent of that and to be your vessels for restoration and for reconciliation. Finally, we pray for resources that may be lacking, Father. We're living in difficult times. The economy is not doing well, but we are thankful that you are our provider. Help us to always remember that, not to give way to fear or doubt or unbelief. And we ask that you give us wisdom on how we can best manage the resources you've given us. And Lord, help us as the body of Christ to come alongside one another and provide help and assistance whenever needed and whenever possible. And Lord, just uh, again, for, for comfort, for peace, to know that you are in control even when it doesn't look like it. We thank you. We praise you. Thank you for your word, for this awesome study in the book of Daniel. Thank you for the blessing and privilege of being end times believers to being those who are seeing the very fulfillment of these prophecies. And now we ask you to receive our final offering of praise here this morning. In Jesus' name. <laughs> 